Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Today, we're in the middle of a series on fear, and at the end of this uh, message, we're going to be talking uh, just about how do we break fear in a practical way. We're talking about facing fear, and that one of the most important things we need to do when we are struggling with fear, when we're, when we're afraid, we're running, right? We're afraid of something, we run, we freeze, we fight, but if you're running from something, you have got to stop and turn and face it head on. And so you face that fear head on. You need to have truly the fear of the Lord. So this is one of the first messages we preach in this series is about understanding the fear of the Lord. And that word is yera in the Hebrew, which means to draw near in reverence to, and be in awe of. See, when we understand God is for us and he is all-powerful, when we fear him, it causes us to draw into his protection and relationship. But when we see him wrong, I'm afraid of punishment from a God that it isn't his true nature, and then I run from him. So we need to understand the fear of God. When you fear God right, you stop being scared of everything else. So we can say it this way, this way is that if I don't fear God, I'll fear everything. If I don't fear God properly and draw to him and run in him and and allow his protection to be over me and truly, even like we're going to talk about today, when I understand what he's purchased for me at salvation, it causes me not to be scared of anything on earth. But when I lose that perspective is when I get all messed up and the wheels come off the wagon. Come on, church. The, 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 The church is so scared we're paralyzed from movement and love. But perfect love does what to fear? It casts out all fear. So we need to make a shift from being scared to be driven from love. Driven from fear versus driven from love produces very different fruit. We're going to look into the life of the Apostle Paul. and We're going to see how this guy was able to find his way in love and in peace and experience the joy of God in the midst of the most wildest of all kinds of circumstances. So let's look at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at him while he's in prison, which is an awesome place to be, right? Right? It, especially when you're there for not doing anything wrong, just for preaching Jesus. Now, Paul is in prison for preaching Jesus, and he has this unbelievable attitude Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. This is in the New Living Translation, the second edition. So, it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor from God, both in my imprisonment. Listen, the special favor from God in my imprisonment. Does that make any sense? (laughs) It only makes sense if your head is screwed on right with Jesus. But when we get all scrambled and messed up and we think like the world, we think imprisonment, this is terrible. No, God's favor was on him, both in his imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. 
For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here gain confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's radical. This is radical that, God, that Paul sees God's favor in his imprisonment as he preaches the gospel. He feels the favor of God when he goes into prison. He's like, oh, we're going to disrupt him even more. He gets even more excited about it. And some of us go, this guy's crazy. No, he's not crazy, actually. He's just not scared. He's not scared. We, but when we get scared of, of our losing our personal life, we lose our peace. When we get scared of losing this life and this world, we lose our peace, we lose our joy. Paul kept his head screwed on straight and he saw what was important to God. Let's skip down to verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. It gets even more crazy, doesn't he? Dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know what is better. Which one is better? I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be by far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. You see, Paul, he's thinking about something else. He's got his head and his mind. He's got his eyes and his perspective on eternity, not on this world. He knew that he was actually not made for this world, that he was made for another. He's made for eternity. And he had his eyes and his focus there. And because his eyes were there, he knew he could never lose. In fact, to lose this earthly temple in life, Paul understood it so, easy, so, so well that he's like, that's going to be awesome. That's it. He's like, I win big time. That is by far better for me if I just die right now because I get to go be in eternity. My old body, all these ailments, all the things, all the suffering, all the hardship, all that goes away, and all I get is the glory of God. Pretty good return, isn't it? But when we lose perspective and we think this world here, this stuff we have, our earthly bodies and temples and all this, is all we have to live for, and then we're afraid of what we lose and gain or won't, all of a sudden anxiety and worry and concern. In fact, circumstances in our world begin to push us around. The fear of how things could turn out begin to push us around. Anybody be pushed around by the fear of, of political outcomes? Shame any Christmas. Just get worn out. But, and all, all politics are driven from fear now. There's no hope hardly at all. It's just crazy. It's ever, oh, no, you should be afraid of what these guys would do and what those guys would do or this person would or wouldn't do. It's just, just fear. Drives its way in the church. Oh, if we live this way or don't live this way, if we do this or don't do that. And oh, what will people think of us or as a church? Or, yeah, yeah. And then we, oh, what if they pass this law and then, Oh my gosh, 
They pass a law, and then they'll put us all in jail. You're like, hey, if they put me in jail, God's favor is going to be on me, and people are going to get saved like crazy. I mean, this just happened to Paul. We just read it, and somehow he didn't freak out about it. I'm not telling you you should or shouldn't do certain things. I'm saying you shouldn't do things driven from fear. You take good, righteous behavior, plug it into fear, it produces terrible fruit. It produces legalism, control, shame, condemnation. All these things, restriction, it drives love out of the environment. If, if you plug in righteous or godly behaviors into fear, all of a sudden it, it restricts everything beautiful in the kingdom because 1 Corinthians 13 says this, without love, everything is a clanging gong or an empty symbol, a, a noise, a worthless noise that produces nothing. You can have all the understanding and all the gifts and all the stuff and be amazing at everything. Without love, you've done nothing. Love drives the kingdom, period. When you drive things from fear, even righteous behaviors, it produces legalism, control, destruction, death, and everybody gets confused because you're like, that's supposed to be good. But it doesn't feel good. And it is not doing something good in me. That feels dumb. So, to conclude my message, don't do dumb stuff. Just kidding. I'm not done. <laughs> Here's what Paul did. Watch what he learned. Philippians 4, he goes on to say this, 4.10, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Say, what? For I have learned... How to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on most, uh, almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. He has learned the secret. We're not born with this. We don't understand this right away. This is a, this is a learning process of how to see the kingdom first, see what God has done for us fully, and then understand it and believe it to our core so strong that love, no, I mean, that fear no longer can penetrate the love in our life. Because I'm secure in God. God is love. The Father is love. His perfect love drives out all fear. Not me doing his love more perfectly. Not me behaving like him more perfectly. No, I get centered in his love and I learn the secret that he's my provider. See, he says it there like, I, I get it, you guys are trying to help me and that's so cool, that's awesome. And, and, and you could see there were, there were needs, but I never really am in need because Christ is all I need. That's not, a, that's not just a saying. That needs to become the truth about our life. And the only way that can happen is if we begin to let go of some things we have to begin to let go especially of our own life but see paul he didn't just make this statement as like well you know i've kind of had a little bit of suffering or i kind of know what it means to have needs this guy knew what it meant to have needs listen to a list that he rattles off in second corinthians 11 he says you know what i've had some hard things happen in my life 
but I've learned to be content in all these circumstances, right? And then in, in this other book, he writes, well, you know, I've worked super hard in my life. I was put in prison more often than pretty much anybody, whipped times without number, and faced a death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and not the kind of like stoned you're thinking about, the stoned with rocks, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. I was spent a whole night adrift at sea. Can you imagine spending a whole night adrift at sea? And this guy's like, I've learned to be content in all things. Just out in the open sea experiencing the joy of God in the open sea. How many of you guys would be freaking out? Paul's like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's like, it actually kind of would be good if this log just stopped floating right now. Because I would win. How many of us see all of our difficult circumstances this way? He faces danger and beatings and hunger and thirst. He was out in the cold without clothes. But see, verse 13, Philippians 4.13, he says this, For I can do anything or everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. You did good to help me, even though I know who provides everything I need. And any obstacle in front of me, I can overcome. God can get me through it, even the imprisonment, it, to the end and be faithful. That's all that he understands is not get me out of the circumstance. Through it, period, that's it. Because there's something that is broken in Paul that shifted in him and it's the secret to the sauce, church. It's the secret to understanding how we can have this kind of kingdom perspective. And it says, he says this in Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this earthly body, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I survive living in this earthly body. Think about it like that. By trusting in the Son. By trusting in God. But it's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. That's why I'm not scared. Because I'm dead. Listen, dead people aren't scared of stuff. Like, oh no, my 401k. You're dead. You don't care about your 401k anymore. You don't care if you change the batteries in your smoke alarms. You don't think about that stuff anymore. You're dead. We need to start, we need to die right now. We need to die to ourself. Our selfishness what we can get, what we want, what we want to have. When we die to that stuff and what we fear of what we could lose, this is what we're really, we're afraid of pain and what we can lose. It's people hurting us and taking things from us, but like even their relationships. So if someone's taking something from you, it's like even taking themselves from you. That would be being left alone and rejected and I'm not worth it. So listen to this. When you go to heaven, you give your life to Jesus, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody gets out of it. We've all blown it and messed up. The wages that sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Whosoever believes in his name will be saved. Believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, or pray with the mouth, I'm saved. 
That's how you get saved. Not by anything you could have done, but only by what God has done, Ephesians 2. It, it, he has saved us by his grace. And this, when we understand this, I no longer feel the need that I have to work my way to salvation, right? And it's purchased by him. And that purchasing actually causes my old life to die, my old person to die, and everything I would want in that to die and just no longer be of value to me. And when I understand that nothing can separate me from his love, nothing can take that salvation from me, it has been done. I hang on to that. I am saved forever. And so I can no longer lose anything. And when you and I get to heaven, the thing we, we fear the most here on earth is probably people rejecting us, right? But think about this in heaven. We all go to heaven. God works out all our problems. We no longer, and if we're going to have to do conflict resolution or whatever, it's going to be without sin, and there'll be no fear. So it's going to work. And it might take a thousand years for us to work all that stuff out. That's the first thousand years. Who knows? Is Jesus making everybody make it right? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. But here's the thing. Is God puts us all in heaven and no one can get away from you there. They're stuck with you for eternity. You can't be alone. No matter how rejected you've been on earth or how much you believe people don't really love you and you're afraid of them finding out who you really are because you don't believe you're lovable, God's going to wipe all that stuff away. He's going to heal and fix all that stuff in eternity. And when you and I go to heaven, he's going to work it all out. And you get to have friends in heaven. You'll have the best of friends in heaven. And you might never have been able to accomplish that here on earth because of whatever hurts, damages, or whatever has happened. And, and, and sometimes people are just put in hard situations. Sometimes people grow up in, in environments where they're just persecuted and hated because of their own race or their color or their sociological background. Some people, like in India, are just born into a class. And they're going to be hated their whole life. They're like, well, no, you can only be a garbage person. That's it. That's sinful and wrong. And those people are going to experience that kind of hurt on earth. But in eternity, perfect friendship. No one can ever leave you. This is the thing of how you could be imprisoned and be around no one and still experience God's joy, because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. When I'm dead, I'm not scared. So when I die to me and all my me stuff, all of a sudden I'm not scared anymore. Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal to his children or reveal who his children are really are. Against its will, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Listen, the whole world is groaning and wishing and can't wait until God reveals his perfect glory inside of us. When we end up in eternity, it is a big, big win. Big win. So to live is Christ and work for Christ, but in the middle of that work for Christ is battling through suffering, hardship, difficulty, turmoil, all those things. Pastor Reed quoted that scripture. Awesome. Awesome scripture. You're going to experience hard stuff, but take no fear. God has overcome the world. You win. 
To die is gain. To die, you get everything. So die now. Because dead people aren't scared. When you're not scared, you can invite love to then fill your life and drive everything beautiful in the kingdom through your life. But we have to see fear for what it is, and fear has an assignment, and, and God gave healthy fear for us to reverence him and draw us to him to experience his power, his glory, his love. The enemy takes that fear, manipulates it into this thing. In the Greek, they call phobos, which is the Greek word for fear, which means uh, a terror or to run from or a fear that is now attached to something. And then we have an, another word that I can't pronounce in the Greek that is about anxiety and worry. Okay, we have worry kind of fear. And that kind of fear is something that is about all the things we could lose and, 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 and what bad things could happen and the pain. And we talked about this last week about losing leverage from today because we worry about tomorrow. You start worrying about tomorrow. You have no grace out there. You only have grace for today. So you lose leverage, and now all of your time today is missed experiencing the joy, the peace, the righteousness in the kingdom. Instead, it's about worrying about tomorrow, and now the enemy's winning. But see, what God wants us to do is see fear's assignment because the enemy is manipulating fear, and he's using it as his number one tactic to try to influence you and I and paralyze us in the kingdom. And the number one attack of fear in the, in the kingdom, I mean, from the enemy against the kingdom, is to get you to believe that the Holy Spirit is bad. So there's a theology that's out there that says that the Holy Spirit is not God, or that the Holy Spirit is not God for today, or needed or necessary today. It was just for some other time. And that that fear, now, now I think it's wrong to partner with the Holy Spirit because I think the Holy Spirit's bad. The devil wants you to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. If he gets you afraid of the Holy Spirit, you don't partner with him. If you don't partner with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the only thing the enemy can't stop. It's really not that. <laughs> it's a pretty good strategy. See, he encountered the Holy Spirit on the day when he tried to throw over God himself the Father just goes with his breath, the Holy Ghost, and wipes a third of the angels, his whole army that he thought was going to be this big, huge revolution, off and out of heaven. That's how hard it was for God. He goes, and you're done. Punch your ticket, buddy. He doesn't want to fight the Holy Spirit. You see what happened when the Holy Spirit was in Jesus? Jesus shows up and he talks to demons. They're like, oh, talk to us. They're freaked out because he holds all the power and the power to destroy their life. He doesn't want the Holy Spirit in you doing anything. That freaks him out. So what he can do is manipulate fear to get you to think the Holy Spirit isn't God. The second is to get you to believe the Holy Spirit's gifts are not for today. If you believe that the Holy Spirit's gifts are not for today, all of a sudden you're scared. You think it's wrong to partner with the Holy Spirit's gifts. So then all of a sudden, now I'm scared to do it. So fear is now driving action where righteous behavior produces bad fruit. It's just that simple. I'm afraid of God or the Holy Spirit and what he was going to do in and through my life or he could embarrass me or whatever. When you're dead, you don't get embarrassed. You know that? No person's ever been embarrassed at their own funeral. So have a funeral, real quick one for your life, 
Jesus, it's no longer I who live, it's now you who lives in and through me. And hey, let's get started doing your life through me. And I'm not afraid of your Holy Spirit. See, I'm not afraid of what your Holy Spirit will ask me to do or do in and through me. I'm gonna take those fears of rejection or shame or being embarrassed, like it doesn't matter to me anymore because I'm dead. It's not me who lives, it's you. So uh, people can't hurt me because I'm not scared of them anymore. So I'm not gonna be scared of God's gifts. If the enemy gets you to stop using God's gifts, he begins to paralyze and stop the kingdom. Boom. Third one. And I believe these are the top three. The third one is he wants you to be afraid of women leading in leadership. Because if you get afraid of women being in leadership, then he subtracts actually more than half the army of God. And you know what's crazy? He actually subtracts the half of the, of the part of God's army he hates the most. He hates women more than anybody else. And he said that in the beginning, in the garden, he said, listen, I'm gonna, God said, I'm gonna put enmity, enmity, the worst kind of hatred, between you and the woman, the devil and the woman. And it's referred to again in Revelation 12, where we see him, the enemy being swept out of heaven. And he says, I'm, there's, there is a war going on between the devil and the woman and all her offspring. Women are the multipliers in the kingdom. You know this, right? No one has ever come to this world except through a woman. Did you know that? It's a miracle. One way, born of water, then of the spirit. It's how you get saved. First you have a mom, then you got a dad, the Holy Ghost. God, Jesus, he saves you. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit save you. Boom. But if the enemy gets you to believe that women have no place in leadership in the kingdom and then you believe that's wrong, so then you plug this thing you believe is righteous behavior into the fear of doing it wrong, empowering women, you produce bad fruit. Cuts off half of God's army. Come on, hello. You buy into this lie, you will stand before Jesus, I promise, and you'll give account. You'll say, what'd you do with the life I gave you? Oh, I just limited half your army. You're standing, I'm gonna go like this. Yeah, Lord, you talk to that guy, I'll be over here for a while till it's my turn. <laughs> All right, this is fear of God. Lord, I year to you. Lord, I move toward you. I reverence your power. And I see you said there's no male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile, right? Come on. We're all one in Christ Jesus. God wants to move. He wants to create movement. That's only gonna be done through love, which comes through love, acceptance, right? And empowerment of his people. His Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons, but the enemy's assignment is to create limitation and stop the army of God. That's what fear's assignment is to do, is to get you to restrict the Holy Spirit moving in your life to stop love from moving in your life. He wants judgment and criticism to come out of you towards everything you're afraid of. He wants you to take judgment and criticism and drive it all over the world and tell everybody what you're afraid of. Oh, I'm afraid of everybody doing sin and all this stuff in the world, and so I'm gonna tell them all. Go get a microphone. He's like, yeah. Go get a sign and put it on the street. Yeah, go do that. The devil really wants you to do that stuff. And the Lord's going like, what are we doing? You ask me what's loving and what's wise instead of what scares you the most and see if there's a difference. The Holy Spirit has to become the anchor in your life. 
If you and I want to walk in freedom from fear, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to become the anchor in our life. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Everything you need to know is in the Holy Spirit. That's good news, right? You can go right to him. He said he is your advocate. If you want help with moving through fear and learning how to die to yourself and allowing Christ to live in and through you, you need the advocate, the one Jesus said you need. He goes, don't do anything till you get this because I'm gonna do everything through the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. This comes from the Holy Spirit. Who would love to have peace of mind and heart? And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. You can't get it anywhere else. So don't be troubled or afraid. You don't have to be scared anymore. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be scared anymore. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I got you. I got you, boo. You good. I got you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's got everything you need. Just go to him. He's your helper. I left him here for you. He's gonna help you get through this big, gigantic mess here on earth. Partner with him. Don't let the enemy manipulate you and control you with fear. Allow him to set you free. Okay, we're gonna lay this scripture in to build Three key principles from, okay? Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Say, what? But I thought I could really worry about my kids. It's a mother's job to worry. Okay, wait a second. Do not be anxious about anything, mom. But in everything... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Has anxiety ever helped you? Has it ever produced anything good in your life? No. Like we said last week, just a good ulcer. That's about it, right? And the peace of God which transcends, it surpasses it, it, it goes over and through all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Okay, so we're gonna take that scripture as sort of a basis. I'm gonna give you three practical tips, tools you can use and put to work to get set free from fear. First, who's your helper? The Holy Spirit. So the foundation of these tips are you have to understand the Holy Spirit's your helper. These things don't work without God. If you're not taking these tools to him, you're not, you're not gonna find victory and freedom. Okay, you need to understand fear. You need to feel it. You need to know what it feels like. If you and I don't know what fear feels like, then it gets normalized in our life. And we can easily confuse fear with righteousness. Say, uh-oh. Nobody said, uh-oh. Say, uh-oh, okay. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous. When we get confused, we don't understand what fear and anxiety feels like. Sometimes it gets normalized. It eventually become normalized because your body knows how to normalize everything. It's designed to. When you get really, really scared all the time, you start to live in worry and anxiety, and it's now driving your whole life. You're just worried and afraid all the time. 
that becomes normal. And you start making decisions based off of that fear instead of out of love. And if you don't know what fear feels like, you're not going to be able to identify when it's starting to take over and drive the bus in your life. So let me tell you what fear feels like. First, it's a squirt of adrenaline that comes from right in here, your armpit. real actually you get afraid and you're like adrenaline starts pumping right now in fact sometimes we're scared in such a micro way or a medium way all the time it's always going and that fear is produced in your life that adrenaline is pumping out and then there's cortisol that comes out in there it's another chemical and it starts to erode and attack your body and wear it out trying to overcome that is unbelievably difficult in your life overcome the effects from fear pumping adrenaline into your life all the time. When you start to realize what adrenaline feels like, you're like, oh, I do not like this. I do not like it, Sam I am, right? I would not eat it with eggs or on toast or any. I have this thing with fear right now in my life. It's been this way for a while. I will not partner with the spirit of fear, no matter what. If it means I gotta sit down and take a nap, I'm gonna do it. I don't need fear in my life. It is terrible. I, I can feel it in my brain now. That might seem weird, but I can feel when fear it like happens in my brain. I'm like, uh, and then it goes from my armpit to my stomach. Anybody ever feel fear in your stomach? Don't partner with that stuff. Fear, fear adds all kinds of things, including weight gain, all right? We call it stress. It's fear. It's hard enough being 40 or older, right? And staying trim. It's a lot of miles on a treadmill, let alone to introduce fear. Every time I get afraid and I get stressed, I gain weight. I don't like that because then I got to buy new clothes. That's annoying. Cost me money. You got to learn what fear feels like. Fear also gives you selective attention. It starts to narrow in and give you this tight spotlight where you can now only see a little bit of stuff at a time. You ever see somebody in a fight right in the middle, an argument in the middle of a grocery store? And they're just like, you're like, there are so many people around and they don't even see anybody. Sometimes they bang at other people and they hit old ladies and knock stuff off the shelf. And they're like, don't even can't see stuff because they get so scared and so afraid and they're just fighting. And that fear creates that tight, tight spotlight. Then when we get scared, we have limited attention where we, cannot, no long, we can no longer see the long and the short in time. I don't understand distance or time. It, it no longer has what I'm doing right now. I don't even care about what the long-term effects are gonna be from what I'm about to do. Another thing that happens is that in your brain, there's like a fire alarm that gets pulled shoots off all of these chemicals and all that stuff goes and then all the smart kids in the classroom leave the building in your brain pull the fire alarm the ones that don't make good decisions they stay in their seats okay all the dumb kids stay in their seats and all the smart kids run out and whatever the dumb kids see is in front of them they go screw it you never made one good decision in your life from your feelings especially when they're charged up with fear. This doesn't produce good, good results. Now, 
There are some useful fears, so I'm going to throw this in here. If a bear is chasing you and you get that tight spotlight, you got to focus, survive. Now, that's probably a good decision, okay? But we're talking about useless fears, things we really don't need to be scared of because we're dead. It's I no longer live, but Christ who lives through me. There are some useful fears, like there's a fire. Okay, I'm going to run from a real fire, right? But there's a lot of fake fires and false fires and things that the enemy wants to manipulate in your life, my life, to control each one of us. So first you need to feel fear and understand its effects and allow that to, 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 to when you feel those things, you go, no, I'm not going to partner with that. I won't partner with that spirit of fear and allow it into my life. And the next thing is we fix our mind and eyes on Jesus. And I want you to think about this like anchor thoughts. For the first one is feel fear. Know, what it, know its name. Know who it is. Understand that spirit and know what it does to your body so you can stop partnering. The second one is anchor thoughts. Learning how to anchor your thoughts. And this principle is found here in that passage in Philippians 4 is that whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Anchor your thoughts to these things. We, but, but we need to know the truth. Get the word of God in our spirit. This is why it's good to go to church, right? If you listen. It's good to open your Bible and read it and search for truth that you can literally apply to combat those fears. What is the lie? You need to write down the lie, the things you're most afraid of. If you don't know what you're most afraid of, you're getting worked. You are getting worked. If you don't have a list of what you're most afraid of, your deepest core fears, and you don't share them regularly, you're getting played. Name it and anchor your thought instead to that fear that's driving you to a, to a truth about who God is. Here's a couple you can anchor your thoughts and minds to. Psalms 55:22. give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. He wants to take that burden of fear and he's not gonna let you slip. Hey, that's a good truth. God, you got me. He's like, I got you, boo, Right? You can't slip and fall. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. It never ends. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. You can't out God's reach. You can't out his blood. You can't do it. You're like, oh, it's just one too many times. Nope. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every single morning. Today, his forgiveness is for you. I say to myself, self, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. He's your inheritance. Put your hope in him, nothing else. Hebrews 13, 5, don't let lo the love, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So what, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. Come on, I don't have to have fear because God's my helper. We what can mere people do to me? When you're afraid, this is a great scripture if you're afraid of rejection. If you're afraid of rejection, what can people do to me? God's my, my helper. He won't abandon me. 
He's never going to fail me. If I'm afraid of failure or not being a success or being significant in this world and having like a name and a title and people think I'm great, it doesn't matter. I don't need money to be satisfied. I've got Jesus. He'll never fail me. He'll never abandon me. My 401k might abandon me. You know that? Romans 8, 31. For what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Philippians 4, 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's got all you need. He's got all the power and he poured it all out just for you so you don't have to worry anymore. What a God. John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Life here on earth is gonna be hard. It is a jam. It is a big, huge log jam. And Jesus has come so you can have peace in him while you go through it. But take heart, because I have overcome the logjam of the world. I have overcome the world. He's beat it all. You get eternity. That's where you win. That's where I win. And when I keep my eyes focused on that, the stuff in this earth doesn't scare me. The beatings, the floggings, the shipwreck, being open at sea. People dying and leaving us, hurts, wounds, rejection, failures, loss. But whatever it happens to be, church, put our life into something that falls apart. You know what? Lord, you've overcome the world. I have peace in you. The third and last one I want to leave you with before we move on here is the five-second rule. This is a principle taught by Mel Robbins. She wrote this principle. She's a secular gal. But uh, this book is awesome. And, but, but she's a, t <laughs> so you read this, but you should read this book and just apply spiritual principles to it, right? It's that good. And she has this rule and it's not five seconds and then the food is contaminated now that, since I dropped it on the ground, right? It's not that kind of five second rule. It's within five seconds you'll talk yourself out of the thing that you know is best for you to do. It just takes about five seconds. It takes about five seconds for you to just get scared enough and fear to work its way into your life to where it's going to start to rob you from the good things that you need. Five, four, three, two, one. Do it. That's the principle. What is the thing you know God wants you to do? That, that principle, if you see this principle and you understand it and, and you realize, you know what, I'm going to take this principle, and I'm going to create an anchor thought that beats this fear, you cannot count in your brain. Your brain literally cannot count in your feeling-based center. So if you count out loud, you must activate that logic-based center in your brain. So you move away from your feelings, and you give yourself a little bit of a break. And it moves you in a place where you know what you ought to do. You know what is right before the Lord. You have a goal that God has put in your heart. You know a truth that combats this fear. You create an anchor thought before you move into places of fears. That is the truth of God. And when you start to feel fear, because now you can feel it, right? 
You're feeling it starting to come on. You're going, no, no, five, four, three, two, one. Anchor thought. I pray that anchor thought out into existence. I speak it out. No, I don't need to be afraid of this. God, I have your peace because you have overcome the world. What can mere man do to me when I have you, Jesus? Come on, five, four, three, two, one. Do it. Just do it. Speak it out and then do the action, the thing that you know God has laid on your heart to do. It just takes five seconds for the enemy to conjure up a gigantic snake pit for you to be afraid of, a fake snake pit. He just goes, look at all these snakes you should be scared of and all this other stuff that can bite you and hurt you and harm you and take over your life. Just five seconds and all of a sudden, you're like, no, no, I got about 10 good reasons why I shouldn't do that thing. God tells you to pray for somebody. You're like scared. What if the word isn't really a good word? What if he kissed me at work, you know, and I, I pray for them, I mess up the prayer. And what if they reject me and they don't like me and all this kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? We think of all these reasons of why we shouldn't do it and they're all really dumb. And they're all about us getting hurt. They're all about us losing something that we ought to just die to right now. Just count it out, five, four, three, two, one, and obey the Holy Spirit. The kingdom thing that you know he wants you to do. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? Lord Jesus, we love you. Your name is above every name. And at your name, our knees bow. Jesus, you are Lord. You're Lord of my fear. You're Lord of my worry. You're Lord of my hurt. And Jesus, right now, I surrender my fear to you and I ask you to take it. And I ask you to just absolutely wipe it away. Just pull it off of me. I don't want this burden of fear anymore. And I, God, in Jesus' name, I repent for partnering with the spirit of fear. And Lord, right now I ask that you'd fill me with love and with peace and with joy. And Lord, give me anchor thoughts that will help me overcome the fear, God. It will help me to move away from the fear. And Lord, it will drive your truth and your love and your righteous actions in and through my life directly from your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you. We invite you into our life to move in and through us. God, we embrace you in Jesus' name. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's so simple. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. If you're here today and you wanna give Jesus, your, your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you to come up after the service and pray with one of our prayer team members and let them know, hey, it's time for me to give my life to the Lord. It's so simple. Jesus, you are Lord. Amen? Amen? Power shift in prayer. Let's move away from fear, but it's in prayer. We shift in our mind. Amen, church? All right. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.